Hi, everybody. Good to be here with you all. Um, I think I recognize about half the faces here, maybe even less. Um, as Sam said, I, I used to, 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 well, I guess I used to be a part of this, this group that meets here, but probably before the they started even meeting on a Sabbath when I first moved to Melbourne from um, um, returning from my studies in New South Wales. I, I joined um, the care groups that Roy and Jinha were running and um, got to know a few people like Sam and James. And um, it was a real blessing for my wife and I. And, uh, and then we moved to, uh, well, I moved to the southeast for my work as a pastor. And um, it's been my first year as a pastor, so forgive me if I say anything wrong. <laughs> but um, I'm really glad for the opportunity to come. This is the second time I've preached here, and it's the second time that Roy and Gina have not been here. So if you guys are here, I'm going to preach one day when you're here. <laughs> but I'm really glad to be here with you. Um, it was a very appropriate video that was just played, um, the TED Talks video on choices. And my sermon today is called Choosing to Choose. Okay, Choosing to Choose, an interesting uh, sermon title. Uh, but before we get into it, let's just have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for another opportunity to uh, share your word. As um, I share your word in this place, Father, I pray that I will speak your words and that your Holy Spirit will be in this place um, uh, speaking to the needs of the people in this room, Father. Uh, be of those who couldn't attend and those who are on their way, Father, and be of the leaders of this church, Father. It's beautiful to see that this place is growing and that your hand is in the work that is in this place. Be of us now. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, James, can I move this microphone? Thank you. Lovely. That. Great. Now you can't see me. That's really awkward. So I'm just going to move that right away. Okay. Um, I wanted to start this afternoon by just sharing with you a little experience of mine, a personal experience. And I don't know um, uh, if it's worth asking. Uh, who, have here, who here is, I guess, new to this Christian journey, new to the Christian faith, new? Any show of hands? Yes, no, okay, no hands, shy group, that's okay. Um, I wanted to share with you briefly um, my own experience of choosing to follow Jesus. Okay, um, to set the scene, um, we have to go back to when I was approximately 10, 11 years old. And um, my family went to church in the southeast, and I'm actually uh, a pastor at the church that I grew up at, which is a really beautiful thing. I was a bit afraid of going back there because Jesus said a prophet is not welcome in his own home. But so far, they have not stoned me and tried to run me out of town, which is good. But it was in that church where a lot of my formative Christian experiences occurred. And um, some of you might have been a, a part of uh, the Seventh-day Adventist brand of Christian church for a while, and, and I have as well. I've grown up one my whole life. And when I was about 10, 11 years old, there was this big evangelism series at our church. And in fact, it was right around the world. It was the Net 98 series. Does anybody remember that? The Net 98 series. see a few people nodding their heads, smiling like, I almost forgot about that. And um, so our church was heavily involved and um, the sermon was being broadcasted from America um, in Michigan, the middle of America to be exact. And um, there was a series of sermons. I can't remember how long, how many to be 
uh, to, to remember, but there was quite a lot of sermons, and my mum was going night after night after night. She was already an Adventist, but she really loved the message, and she would bring us along. And she would let us run around in the foyer and do our own thing because it was a, a lot of attention you were asking a kid to have for um, night after night for weeks on end. But um, I was actually listening in the background. I was listening to these messages and I was, um, I was slowly being convicted by some of the things I was hearing. Okay, and at the very end of the meetings... Um, there was a call that was made, and um, do you, who, who wants to follow Jesus? Who wants to give their life to Jesus? And I've got to be honest with you, I don't think I fully comprehended the nature of the call. Um, growing up, I, I had kind of different exposures in my Christian walk, and I was kind of afraid of God and afraid of who he was. And I felt like I needed to make a choice for God because if I didn't make that choice, then perhaps I was going to experience his wrath. Or maybe I was going to experience some bad judgment or, or um, worst case scenario, go to hell if I ever died or something like that happened. And so my choice to follow Jesus was as much of me being afraid of him as it was of loving him. And I don't know for those of you here who've chosen God or for those of you who are in a place where you're considering choosing God, what is the motivation for choosing God or what has been the motivation? For me in those early stages, in those early days, it was very much a fear-based thing as much as it was of loving Jesus. And as I grew older in my journey, I started to mature in my understanding of who he was. And I started to realize, well, in fact, Jesus is not quite the tyrant. God is not quite the tyrant that I grew up to believe. And I started to develop my own personal relationship with him. And that started to change me and my perspective of him. But I share this story with you because for so many people... One of the motivating factors to become a Christian or the motivating factor to follow Jesus is because we're actually afraid of some kind of consequence. And and I don't know what that may be for you. Maybe you're afraid you're seeing things in the news are happening and you're like, oh, oh no, I better get my shape, uh, my my stuff together, ship up or shape out sort of a thing. Uh, Maybe some of you have had some bad experiences in life and like, if I don't choose Jesus now, then then it's all going to go down downwards from here. And I don't know, but maybe someone in here has made their choice to follow Jesus because of something like that. I want to read you a quote from a book called Lift Him Up, and it says, The shortness of time is frequently urged as an incentive for seeking righteousness and making Christ our friend. Basically, it's saying for many people, they choose Jesus because they feel like they don't have a lot of time. And they've got to make a decision nice and quick, nice and fast. Otherwise, they might run out of time. This this quote continues, This should not be the great motive with us, for it savors of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day God should be held before us, that we may be compelled to write actions through fear? So the author of this quote is saying, should we be motivated to follow Jesus because we're afraid of some catastrophe cataclysmic event that's coming into the into the future should that really be the motivating factor as to why we choose god in this sermon i'm going to suggest that perhaps this isn't the safest place to be placing our relationship with jesus if that's what we're building our relationship on maybe we need to go back to the drawing board 
This is not to say that, that looking out in, in society and seeing what's going on is, is not a, a bad thing. I think it's actually a very good thing. I'm looking very forward to Jesus coming. I'm looking forward to, to uh, all the things that have to take place. But I'm not placing my hope on these things alone. I'm going to uh, read to you from Joshua 24, verse 15. If any of you have your Bibles with you or your, your um, phones or your tablets or whatever you have, turn with me to Joshua 24, verse 15. And I want to look at what the Bible does place a sense of urgency on. Okay, So we're trying to see what does the Bible uh, say we should be really urgent about. So in Joshua 24 verse 15, and some of you might be familiar with this text, it's a common popular text, and it reads like this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. Here we we are jumping into this story of Joshua as he's leading the nation of Israel. And they've, they've come through Egypt and God's said to them, I want you to take over the land you need to do to this and this and this and this. And, And Joshua has faithfully led the people. And he's coming to the end of his life. You'll see in the the few verses afterwards, Joshua actually passes away. But Joshua's words are very interesting. He says, choose you this day who you will serve. He says, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. He says, choose you today. He's having his big sermon. This, This is possibly his final speech to the people. And he says, look, guys, I'm going to be moving on. He's not saying I'm going to be moving on, but he does eventually move on. And he says, I want you to really consider who are you going to serve? There's still a lot of work to do. We still have to drive out the Canaanites from this land like God's asked us to. But before we do that, really consider who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve the gods that that we left behind in Egypt? Or are you going to serve these new gods? Choose today. And so there's this sense of urgency in Joshua's words. Choose today. Now, I want to illustrate something to you. And I'm going to be moving around. And I don't know, James, this might be a little bit annoying for you. But I want you to imagine that this pulpit here, um, or lectern, if you will, I want you to imagine that this lectern is the first coming of Jesus. This is when Jesus comes. I'm going to use this space here as a little bit of a timeline. Okay, now if I walk over this way, okay, I want you to see that all the way down here, thank you James, sorry for making your job a bit hard, Um, I want you to see that over here, let's just say this is a time marker in history, this is when Joshua makes his big speech, choose this day, okay, now this day is quite a few hundred years away from the first coming of Jesus, can you see that? Okay, And what I want to establish is that the Bible continually says, choose today, choose today, choose today. And it's never connected to the first coming of Jesus. And it's never connected to the second coming of Jesus, which is way, maybe outside the building. I'm not going to go that far. Okay, But think, okay, Joshua's out here in, in, in this time in history. We're going to look at a few more texts to establish this point. Okay, So um, before we do, we'll keep reading verse 25. 
On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws. Jump down to verse 29. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. He lived a nice long life, which is very good. But very interestingly, not long after he makes this speech of choose today, he dies. Isn't that interesting? If he had left this speech a little bit longer, would he have been around to actually, in fact, challenge the people? It seems in God's providence, in God's timing, that it was a very timely, important decision that had to be made in the presence of their leader. A few days or maybe a few weeks later, and they were not going to have him anymore. So there's this imperative to make this decision while Joshua's alive. Let's jump now to 1 Kings, okay? A few books down. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. And in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, we are going to be introduced to Elijah, okay? Elijah the Tishbite. And just for some context, for those of you who are not aware of his story, Elijah is this prophet of God, and he feels like he's the only prophet who's serving God in this time where Israel has not done what God commanded. And the Israelites failed to get rid of the surrounding Canaanites in the way that God commanded. And many, many generations down the track, we find that there's, there's rampant idolatry. I was going to say idolatry. Idolatry. Okay? There's a lot of idolatry, and it's the worst kind of idolatry. The people are serving this god called Baal. And glad the children are out of here. Baal was this god, and, and to worship Baal, one of the things you could do was, well, he was this metal statue, and often he had his hands placed like this, and a fire would be lit beneath, the, beneath Baal. And often to appease Baal to, 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 as an act of worship, people would bring their children and place him in the hands of Baal. Now, Israel is doing this kind of worship on these hot hands of Baal. They're placing their children, doing these things that are absolutely horrible and horrendous, things God never asked for. And this is where Elijah steps in. Elijah's been asked to confront the people, confront the prophets of Baal. And Elijah gives this very interesting speech, and he says in verse 21, 21, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. On this day, there's this big showdown, and Elijah's challenging the prophets of Baal, Um, to a sort of showdown. We're going to see which God is real and he's going to show up um, in this miraculous way. But Elijah's challenging the people. Choose for yourselves today. Choose God or choose Baal. I need you to see this. Again, we have a challenge to make a decision in the here and in the now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. It's about making a choice today. This is Elijah speaking, okay? He says, how long will you waver? How long will you hesitate? It seems that this decision to choose God has been lingering. It's, it's a decision that hasn't been made. It seems that the people were kind of, oh, do I go to God or do I go to Baal? And he's like, guys, come on, we need to stop this nonsense. Choose today. Okay. Let's jump now down to Psalms 95. We're trying to paint. Now, while you're going there, remember our little timeline. Here's Joshua. Okay. 
Elijah a few centuries later, but we're still not at Jesus. So you can see that, that this is not related to the first coming of Christ or the second. But let's go to Psalms, Psalms 95 and verse 7 and 8. Here we have um, our good friend King David writing, and in verse 7 and 8, he says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, and here's our word, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Mariba, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. David is remembering an event where the people harden their heart because we can't keep doing this, people. Choose today, if only you would hear his voice. Again, we are nowhere near the first coming of Jesus, and yet three times we've seen, choose today. Okay? And there's many more we could see in the Old Testament, but, but I think you get the idea. Okay? In the Old Testament, it was very clear that the people... The, the, the leaders of that, they wanted the people to make choices for God today. Let's go now to the New Testament, because um, I don't want to be too heavy on one side. Let's go to the other side of the Bible, and let's see this idea developed there. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And here we have the words of Paul. And this is what he says. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Is that yesterday? Was it tomorrow? It was now. Now, when this letter was read in Corinth, the people would have been experiencing these feelings and thoughts going, oh, now, now, okay, there's a sense of urgency for when this letter was being read. And today, again, I would urge you that, that, that this, this idea of today, it's not just in the Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. So let's go to the other side of Christ coming. Now Christ has come and gone, okay, and we're looking now to the second coming. We don't know where that is. We could keep going, keep going. But I want you to see that Paul's words are not tied to the first coming and they're not tied to the second coming. Can you see that? And yet we have this, this request now. Well, not this request, but, but this statement. Now is the time, okay? Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So many times we, we get this idea that well, Jesus is coming soon. Better look busy. Better, get, better, better start doing the right things. And if, if, you're, if, you put, if you put two cents together, you start, it doesn't take you long to realize, well, Jesus apparently has been coming again for about 2,000 years and he's still not here. And I would say that's a fair argument. I believe we cannot base our, our, our desire to follow Jesus on him coming again. I think that's something to look forward to. I think that's something that definitely sweetens up this day, this idea of choosing today to follow Jesus. But I don't think it's the ultimate thing that should be driving our decisions. Can you see that? Okay. So the question is, should we be feeling a sense of urgency? Well, I think the Bible is quite clear that we should be feeling a sense of urgency. Right throughout history, the history of the Bible, there was always an appeal to the generation of that day to choose God for themselves. 
And friends, again, I would suggest to you that there is an appeal being made in the Bible for you to choose God again in your own lives, in, this, in our own context here in Melbourne in the 21st century. So the real question then is why the sense of urgency? And I'm going to take this down two different paths. I'm going to take it down a biblical path and perhaps a not-so-biblical path. But I hope you bear with me in this. And we're going to look at the biblical path first. Okay? I think one of the reasons why the Bible tells us to choose God today is very simply we live in a sinful world. Welcome, ladies. Hello. We live in a world that is, that is, that is being tampered with. We live in a world where bad things are happening to good people all the time. And there's nothing, quite frankly, we can do about it a lot of the time. Um, there's uh, My wife's got an uncle in America. He's a pastor. And um, in fact, actually, he's one of the, the people who was pushing me towards ministry. I told him a bit of my, my story and how God had led me to study and how God was taking me on this journey. And, and, and I was a teacher at the time. And he says, well, what are you doing as a teacher? Go apply for jobs. Go, go, go take a step of faith. Go, go look for some work. And, and I was like, you know what? You're right. So I, 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 did, I took the advice, and, and now I'm here today preaching to you. So amen to that. But this guy, um, we actually had dinner with him. The last time I saw him, we were having dinner with him at Vapiano's. Great restaurant. I think you've all been there. Fantastic food. Um, but we were at Vapiano's. That was the last time I saw him. And only, uh, I think, a month ago, if that, um, we, we got a call to find out that he just died. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows how. This guy was an amazing preacher, pastor. A lot of people came to know the Lord through him. All of a sudden, capiche. This is the kind of world we live in. And I don't want to be really morbid in this, but I think we can all recognize this fact that, that, that life is temporal while we're here on this earth. Um, the church that I'm pastoring at, one of the churches, I'm pastoring at two churches right now, um, there's a, the, at one of the churches, there's a very large old population. And um, I've never been to more funerals in my life. It's a little bit funny. We shouldn't laugh at the dead. But I'm like, wow, I've not been to as many funerals as I have this year. I think I've been to about four or five funerals. And uh, most of these people are old age. But there have been some that have been just a little bit too soon. Yeah? And I think the Bible says choose today because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what, what's coming around the corner. Um, you know, you've seen, those, you've seen those, those signs on the trams that say, this is um, a moving rhinoceros. Have you seen those? And I was like to my wife, what is this? This rhinoceros on a skateboard. She says, well, if this tram hit you, it's like a rhinoceros on a skateboard going bang. And I'm like, ugh, okay, I get the idea. And you know, for all I know, I could step out of here right after I finish, and that could be the very end. So I need to make sure that the decisions I'm making aren't decisions based on something that's way down the track, but just for the simple fact that I live in a sinful world and that I don't know what's around the corner. So choosing today then becomes very important in the life of the believer. Every day is an opportunity to re-again commit our lives to God, to choose God again, to make Him the focus of our lives, to make Him the direction in which we walk in. Because I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with, you know, something can take our lives here, but if we are with God, then then ultimately we are in safe hands. Would you agree? So the the appeal then on one one hand is to choose God because we just don't know what's coming around the corner. 
Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Let's see this developed in the scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And most people have um, Bibles on their phones, so it's really quick. I like that. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Very interesting words for a Christian leader to be telling his church family. Okay, guys, thank you for choosing Jesus. Thank you for making a commitment to the Lord. Now, um, here's just one of the little disclaimers about deciding to choose God. When you go out of these doors, um, you might be spiritually attacked. Okay, you might be oppressed a little bit. Um, You might have a hard time in the workplace. Maybe your family is going to reject you. Um, Yeah, it's not going to be a walk in the park. Um, But yeah, you've chosen Jesus. Great. Sometimes we forget about this, guys. But the reality is the scripture tells us that we need to be mindful that as followers of Jesus, we are to expect some dangerous times in our lives. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Um, Here are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 3. And um, again, some strange words for a leader to be telling his new group of people. It's kind of like Roy and Jean Hart, you know, saying, look, we're starting this new church as they have. And look, guys, we're so glad that you could come. But could you please sign this insurance waiver because you might die. Okay. Here's the words of Jesus. This is what he says. Luke 10 and verse 3. Go. There's an exclamation mark in my translation. Go. I am sending you out like lambs amongst the wolves. That's an interesting analogy. I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Um, Tomorrow at my church, um, we're having a kids' fun day, and the car park is turning into this this paradise for children, and there's going to be like rides and attractions and show bags, Um, and there's also going to be this petting zoo. And I love a petting zoo. Who loves a good petting zoo? Yeah, we all love a good petting zoo. And, and at every little petting zoo, what do you see? Nice little lamb. Nice little beautiful lamb. And you give them the milk and they, they go really hard at that thing. And, and Jesus is like, you guys are just like those beautiful woolly lambs. Out you go. Whoa, Jesus, calm down. But the reality is he's sending us out into the world amongst the wolves. Okay? Don't... Don't, don't be amazed by that, but that's just the reality of what it's like to be a Christian. The Christian journey is a, a journey of faith. And there are people who aren't happy about the progress that the church makes for God. Okay? There is definitely someone out there, we were just read, who's prowling around, waiting to, to kind of halt the progress of this movement. Let's just go now to Matthew 10. We'll just finish this idea. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 17. So just one book back, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 17. And um, here again, Jesus is speaking and he says, Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Here we actually see you're not only safe outside of the church, but you're not safe inside it. When I really stopped to ponder what this text was saying, I was like, oh... Well, that's great being a pastor. (laughs) I'm not safe being outside, sharing the good news. And and I'm not exactly safe inside because the authorities and the local councils and the synagogues, they were the church of the day. Jesus saying, when you really follow me with 110%, people aren't going to be happy wherever you go. 
Okay? So we need to be mindful that choosing God today is, is just the reality of the Christian who's really committed their lives to serving him the way he's asked. Because when you serve Jesus the way he's asked, you're exposing yourself to that inherent danger. Can you see that? So, it's not always safe being a Christian. I hope you get that idea, friends. And I don't want to scare anybody who's new to the faith. But that's just the reality. I have a, a guy I'm, I'm doing Bible studies with, and I'm trying to encourage him to read his Bible more, spend more time in the Word. And he says, yeah, Ryan, sometimes it's a little bit hard. So um, I, I read my Bible, but I, I'm reading other things as well. And, and he's like, I'm reading a book called Jesus Freaks. <laughs> Has anybody ever read Jesus Freaks? When you're feeling solid in the faith, pick that book up and have a read. It's one of the most challenging books you'll read. It's about, um, Roy and Jin Ha, if they're watching, they're like, no, don't tell them to read challenging books. Um, <laughs> it's a book about Christian martyrs throughout faith, people who have sacrificed their lives for the cause of Jesus over the years and centuries. And some of the things, I won't say anything that I've read in that book, but there is a lot of graphic stuff. And if I can be so bold, stuff that was more intense than Jesus' death on the cross. Okay, there, there's some really bad things in that book, and that's the reality. He's reading this book, and I'm like, okay, I'm so glad you're reading this nutritional content for your spiritual walk. Um, but, you know, it's working for him. Um, so, yeah, but the reality, friends, it's, it's, it's a dangerous place. Okay. Now, before I go to the next point, I did want to kind of take a slight tangent. You see, the idea of being a follower for Christ and putting your life on the the line is, is something I think we all need to come to terms with. And definitely making a decision for Christ each day will help us to overcome some of those fears. But there's some interesting words, and we won't turn there, but in Ecclesiastes 7.17, Solomon says some interesting words. He says, why should you die before your time? And there's this idea that perhaps sometimes as Christians we've believed that you know, there is this end point and no matter what happens, I'm going at that time. And I, I kind of agree with that. But what if the enemy has plans to take you away from this world before you finish what God has in mind for you? And Solomon's saying, why should you die before God has set that time? And I think of no better example than the example of, of, of some of the disciples Okay, you know Peter was one of the the leaders of the early church, <clears throat> and he has many scenarios where where he's taken and put in prison, and he's beaten and he's flogged, and time and time again we see the church is praying for him, and miraculously angels come to his rescue and open the the doors of his jail and and the prison. I mean the the prison guards are sleeping, and he just comes out and. And every time he seems to, to, to get out of prison or his sticky situation, there's this miraculous intervention which seemed to happen because in large, a lot of people were praying for him. Okay? A lot of people were praying for Peter and he was able to avoid um, the end that the, the enemy wanted for him and he was able to go all the way to, we believe, where Christ perhaps wanted him to die. That was in Rome. Okay? Now let's look at somebody else in the New Testament. Let's look at our good friend Paul. Paul, if you're not familiar with him, was a bit of a renegade in the Jewish Christian community. He was sort of um, rocking the boat, challenging the status quo and saying, do we really need to be entirely Jewish to follow Jesus? And this kind of questioning, this kind of challenging the establishment, 
put him at odds with the authorities, with the synagogues, just like the text we read um, back there in the Gospels. And Paul, Paul's life is a very interesting life. It's like Paul, it's full of, sorry, it's like Peter's, full of um, hard times, full of troubled times. But when Paul needs the church most, just like Peter did, we actually see that the church fails to pray for him at his, at his, at his most difficult time in life. We actually read in some of the, the parts of the New Testament that Paul had plans to go to Spain. Do we have any Spanish people here? No Spanish people? Okay. If you're Spanish, I'd be excited because we could have had the letter of Paul to the Spanish. How cool would that be? It'd start Ola, you know, I don't know. But, but, but Paul's plan was to go to Spain and he never got there. And my belief, some of my understanding on this is that perhaps the church wasn't praying for him in the way they had prayed for Peter. Friends, we can choose Christ today, but one of the things we can do for our friends today is also be praying for them. Pray for your leaders. Pray for Roy and Jin Ha who, who are running this church. Pray for that they will have wisdom to, to, to keep opening the doors God's asking them to. But also pray for the people who are in other parts of the world who are going through hard times. Who knows what good can, do, can be done sorry, by praying for the people who are exposed to the dangerous wolves and lions that we've just read about. I believe our prayers can prolong certain people's lives when, when they're working for the cause of Jesus. And who knows, there might come a time where you'll have to pray for Roy and in that way. But friends, the first point is, choose God today. Why? Because we live in a dangerous, sinful world. Now, the second point I want to make, um, it's not going to be entirely based in the Bible, but I hope we can see at the end of it that, that I think this could be quite some, an idea that the Bible supports. The second reason I think we need to choose Christ today is because of one word. That one word is character. Character. I'm going to read you a quote from a book called Education, and it reads as follows. Education, page 225. Character development is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. Let that sink in. Character development is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. And never before was its diligent study so important as now. In this next part, I just want to establish why character development, I believe, is so important for making choices. Now, character development, it's, it's very interesting. It's, I'm, not, I'm not claiming to be a professional in, in um, the, how the mechanics of the brain work, but I think in a very simple way, science has shown us how character is developed. And um, I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm just going to... I won't exactly read, but I'm just going to look to my notes more intently because I don't want to get this wrong. But our character begins in our thoughts. Character development begins with the things we think. Now, if you want to do something, if you want to say something, you think first. Some people don't. Gets them in trouble. But most of us like to think before we act, think before we say. Okay? And so our, our, our character, I'm going to establish, hopefully begins with our thoughts. And as we think, and we think through what we want to do or what, do we, what we want to say, we, we act. So we think, and our thinking is followed by action. And when we begin to, to act enough, we start to repeat a few of these actions, 
time and time again. Maybe every day we wake up, we think, I need to wake up. Maybe I shouldn't kiss my wife. I'm going to go brush my teeth. Develop this habit. I don't want to smell my bad breath. We start to develop a habit. So our thoughts lead us to our actions. And enough actions lead to life habits. Can you see that? Anybody got an exercise regime, exercise habit? Good. Love good people. I will take a page out of your book. Um, <laughs> so, so enough thoughts lead to habits. Okay? And when we start to do these habits um, often enough, they start to become routine. For those of you, I find people who, who, um, who exercise, it's either routine or not. Um, yeah, you guys are smiling because like, yes, it is. I'm going for a run tomorrow at 6 a.m. Um, <laughs> for people I find who exercise, for, me, for many people, it's routine. It's my dad. Um, God bless his heart. When we were growing up, um, he would do, he, he used to do Kung Fu, my dad. Um, and um, Chinese people recognize a Kung Fu practitioner a lot of the time because of their knuckles. My dad used to do push-ups on his knuckles, and he has these two big... Um, like, um, it looks like an extension of his foot. His, his knuckles have turned into the kind of consistency of your foot. Like, it's just like, he does so many push-ups on his knuckles. And when we were kids, we used to draw eyes on them and call them spiders. Um, <laughs> but my dad, religiously, every day, would wake up, um, do his exercise. He would go for a 3 to 5K run, and he'd also do these push-ups on his knuckle on his knuckles and that that was his routine and that was this thing that he he developed from doing kung fu okay and and so what are those routines in your life okay and as you start to build these routines what we start to see is a lifestyle we put some of these routines here like brushing our teeth exercising eating three meals a day perhaps spending some time in the word we put all of those things together and we have a lifestyle. Some people's lifestyle is more active than others. Some people's lifestyle is less active. Okay, but I want you to start to see all this begins with thoughts. We move to habits. We start to have um, a lifestyle. Okay, and finally, when we move to a, from a lifestyle, when we have a, a, a common lifestyle, we start to see a character develop. A person's emerging from all of these different little things that make up this person. For some of you, you may like cooking and having a laugh. And um, maybe you like to read a good novel. We're starting to develop a person with, with qualities here. Maybe some of you like to have a nice sleep in on a Sunday morning and go out for brunch. That's my lifestyle. Um, <laughs> but I want you to see that, 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 that character, it, it stems all the way back from making choices from these thoughts that we have, and we start to act on them. Can you sort of see that progression? Um, Again, I'm not a brain scientist, and I'm I'm sure it's pretty clear, but I I hope this idea is pretty simple enough. Okay, Little decisions build up to to a lifestyle, which is what forms our character. I've got a quote just so you you can um, know that I'm not making all this up, but... um, this idea of our, ability, our body um, to, to learn and develop into who we are, our brain's ability to do all of this, it's known as plasticity, this process where our brain is, is changing and being molded. Something that's plastic has the nature under heat to, to be modeled into something. 
And so our brains are plastic as well. And here's a, a quote by this, uh, uh, an expert in this field. His name's Pascal Michelon. I don't know if there's any French people out there. But here's what he says. You may have heard that the brain is plastic. As you know, the brain is not made of plastic. Neuroplasticity or brain plasticity refers to the brain's ability to change throughout life. The brain has the amazing ability to reorganize itself by forming new connections between brain cells or neurons. In addition to genetic factors, the environment in which a person lives, as well as the actions of that person, play a role in plasticity. So, so plasticity is something that's very important in the development of character, in the development of who we are. And, and I want you to kind of see, I'm very visual, um, I'm a kinesthetic learner, which means I like to learn by moving and action. Um, but I want you to think of the choices you make um, like a pathway. You know, I know some, um, some of you may have seen that picture and there's, this, there's a fork in the road, one's going left and one's going right. I want you to think of the choices we make just like that. And in our brain, we've got these neural pathways, and when we get to a decision, we can either choose to do the action or we can choose not to do the action. Yeah? We've got one of two choices, and, and that's basically how we have our, um, um, our computer language. It's, it's all based on these ideas of yes, no answers, um, the one ones and the zeros and the... What's that system called? Um, Binary code, there we go, yes, we've got some nerds in the house. Um, <laughs> but binary is all about making simple decisions, and we've got all this technology because of basic yes-no answers, and our brain is the same. And it's very interesting because the more we walk down a certain path, let's say the path is to choose to, to um, wake up and exercise Let's say that's on this side, um, to choose exercise and to not choose exercise on the other side. I'll wake up one morning and I'm going, yep, I'm going to choose exercise. So I make that decision. This is in my brain, okay? I'm laying down that pathway, okay? The first time I lay down that pathway, it might be a bit of a struggle because there's grass growing over that path and it hasn't been well trodden on. And the path to know is also, it's a little bit overgrown as well. But the first time I decide to go towards making a decision to exercise, I step through that grass, I've got my machete, and I'm cutting everything, and I'm making a bit of a path. Okay? Next morning, wake up again, and you know what? I've committed to doing exercise in the morning, and I'm going to give it a shot. Well, as I approach that path, it's not that much, it's not as hard as it was to go down that path because... I've already started to lay down that track. And I start to walk again, and a little bit more of that track sort of starts to get built in. And the more and the more and more I start to walk down that track, the, the more well-trodden it becomes, and the more of a path it actually starts to look like. And so in some, in some very simplistic way, I hope you see how that character is being developed. For better or for worse, I can decide to go down that path, but... For many of you, like me, you might find that the path not to get out of bed is probably a lot more well-trodden. So I find I'm, I'm more easy to gravitate towards this. I'm heading back, James. It's okay. <laughs> but I want you to see that as we make choices, as we develop our character, we are slowly reinforcing things for better or for worse. 
And so I want you to consider what are the choices you're making in your own life and how are you reinforcing good choices as opposed to the bad ones? Are you reinforcing choices that perhaps are not leading you in a positive direction? It's interesting, but as we learn to, to um, be human as a child growing up, you start to see a lot of uh, this really well in kids. Um, you start to see them as they learn to crawl and as they learn to walk. They make mistakes and they, they correct themselves. And then that pathway gets laid down on, okay, um, walking with one foot and one knee doesn't work too well, so I'm going to use two feet. You know, very simple. But the idea is that they're starting to develop more and more how to do things. I think we all know how to ride a bike, yeah? Okay, remember how you learned how to ride a bike. It took a little while. Maybe some of you had training wheels. Maybe some of you didn't. But your brain was laying down a pathway on how to make the right choice in riding a bike as opposed to the wrong choices. We learned how to, to balance. We learned how to use the momentum to keep us upright as opposed to going slowly and um, falling over. You need to be moving to keep the bike up. That's something you learn through a, a process of trial and error. Okay? Now, as I've said, many of the, the moments in which we learn to make choices in our, in, in our human journey begin when we're a child. I'm going to continue reading from this guy, Pascal. He says, Neuroplasticity occurs in the brain at the beginning of life, when the immature brain organizes itself. And I think that's pretty clear. It also occurs, number two, in case of brain injury, to compensate for lost functions or maximize remaining functions. I really want to focus on the first idea. So many of us make choices. And how many of you are trying to overcome choices you made when you were a kid or a teenager? Bad habits, bad, you know, maybe you have a potty mouth, I don't know. Maybe you like to eat chocolate too much. I don't know what it is. But you know, there's this idea that I was exposed to from a very young age, and I've always believed it. But you know, we spend the first 15, 20 of years developing our character, and then the rest of our life is spent undoing that character, <laughs> you know, undoing all those bad choices. And I think this quote is very true to that. Um, so many of us have made choices, and we find that perhaps we're quite far away from where we want to be where our ideal in life is. But what happens, friends, when we actually start to put off important decisions? Decisions like choosing Christ or decisions like marrying that girl or, or, or not. Okay, It's very interesting, but as we look more and more into this, the, you know, scientists are discovering lots of interesting things. But at a very simple level, what we start to see is as I decide to choose not to exercise and I start to go down this path, I'm not going all the way down the path, but as I decide to go more and more down this, this place of not choosing to exercise, the person who wakes up the next day might actually find it at, at one point in time that he cannot make the decision to choose to exercise anymore. This path is so overgrown and this path to my left, your right, is so well-trodden, that the person tomorrow may not be capable of choosing to exercise where yesterday, last week, last month, maybe it was a lot simpler to make that choice. And that's why, you know, I'm a teacher. I used to be a teacher. And um, 
my wife and I, we talk when we raise our kids, we're going to make sure from a young age they learn how to do the right thing. And, and I think the Bible makes this idea very clear as well. Teach your kids from a young age. And it's right because when you are young, it's easy to make, you know, the tree grow straight as opposed to, to crooked and then correct its growth. And when you sort of raise a kid in the right way, it's easy to make a kid eat their... Well, some parents might hate me for saying this because it might not be true, but it's a lot easier to make a kid eat their vegetables when they've been trained to eat it as opposed to when they're 25 and they hated eating greens their whole life. It's a lot harder to make them make that choice. Can you see that? And so what I want us to recognize, sometimes as far as making spiritual decisions, who knows whether the person tomorrow will be capable of making the choice that they were asked for yesterday, today. You see, every day we are changing, we are exposed to new things, and who knows if the person today is capable of making the choices they could have yesterday. And so, friends, it's for this reason I believe that the Bible writers were saying, choose today. There was idolatry on the table, there was um, superstition, there was all sorts of things that maybe we aren't familiar with, but that really appealed to those Jewish minds back in those times. And perhaps these leaders were like, if they don't make this choice today in a place where they've seen God's working, where they've seen God reveal himself, who knows if they will be able to choose him tomorrow? Perhaps it will be that they will forget him. Perhaps that they will have worshipped Baal too long, but it's just a habit. It's a part of their lifestyle. It's a part of their character. And maybe they won't remember to worship God anymore. So choosing God today is not just about getting out of, bad, of a bad situation because we don't know when, when our lives will end or when something, life catastrophe will hit us. It's not just about that, but it's also about will you be able to make that decision tomorrow? Will you be capable of making that decision tomorrow? I don't know if, if I will. I don't know if you will. If some people look, you know, oh, he's a pastor, he'll always be safe. But enough bad choices leads to a pastor heading out the door just like other people. I'm not immune from this, either are you. Okay? I'm trying to think of an analogy where I've put things off for long enough and it's, been, it's really hard to make decisions. I think exercise is my thing. But, um, you know, we can always come back. But I just want you to see that it just gets harder and harder to make the right choice. Yeah? You see that in the life of the drug addict who's gone so far down that rabbit hole that, that choosing to quit drugs is so hard because that, that, that chemical addiction is so well trodden, that high has been so um, trodden across, it's, it's a super highway. They cannot think about stepping out into this jungle over here because choosing drugs is so a part of who they are. So, friends, the question then is, who are you becoming? What choices do you have to make and what choices are you making today? Are you choosing to to do the things that are going to uplift your spiritual journey? Are you choosing to do the things that are going to draw you closer to God? Um, If I left the sermon at this, um, the discerning person could actually go, you know what, Ryan, you've actually just teached teached us. I'm a teacher. I've actually just taught you um, salvation through works, and you would be right. Everything that I've just told you about making the good choice versus the bad choice, it's all me in my own effort, my own strength, trying to do the right thing. 
But when I have Jesus on board, when I have Jesus side by side helping me to make that choice, it's so much easier to walk down that path. And friends, I'd like to challenge you. Perhaps you find that maybe your Christian journey has been a bit of a struggle. Have you considered whether you've been doing it alone or have you been doing it with Christ? Has your spirit been working in and through you to, to, to accomplish the things that you just can't do on your own? It makes all the difference, friends, when you are trying to make a decision with Christ as opposed to without Christ. Because that superhighway, as big as it is, is nothing compared to that rocket that's pulling you towards the right decision. And it can be a bit of a struggle to get to that place, friends, but I believe persevering, seeking for God with everything that you have in order to help Him to, for you to make the right choices is well worth the effort. It's an eternal consequence that, that choices make, isn't it? And so, friends, I'm hoping that, that the choices you make will, will be ones that will impact eternity. There's a third way Pascal says that, that neuro, uh, uh, in which neuroplasticity can occur in the brain. And he says that's through adulthood. Whenever something new is learned and memorized, this isn't me making this up. And so, friends, I want you to start focusing more on Christ. Start spending more time with him. Maybe that's a path that is a little bit overgrown. Maybe that's a path that could use some trotting on. Because I think the more we spend time with Christ, the easier it will be to make the right choices, to choose him, to follow him. You've got a community here. You've got friends. You've got support. You've got, you've got small groups. How many of you guys attend the small groups? Yeah, some of you do. That's a great place to receive encouragement as well. You don't have to, you don't have to only walk this path with, with, with Christ and the Holy Spirit, but you actually have people who can help you on that journey as well. There are two people holding your hands. How much fun is that? <laughs> but think about it seriously. The church is there to also help in this journey of making better choices, of, of solidifying um, the lifestyle that Christ is calling us to. So the challenge then, friends, is who do you want to be? Choose this day who you're going to serve. And Christ will, will assist you on that journey if you choose him. Thank you.